Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Tonight's guest is Jeff Kittle. Jeff, of course, is the Eastern Pennsylvania and New Jersey State Director for UAAA. Fantastic guest, uh, Mike. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, real interesting perspective to listen to. Guy's been involved in the club softball world going on 25 years, the last 17 with UAAA. So he's got a really in-depth, unique perspective. And at this time, to get the director of an organization like that on here to talk about what reopening play is going to look like is not only interesting, but I think it's going to be really helpful to our listeners also. Yeah, super smart guy. Very well thought out. Uh, really enjoyed the interview. And we hope you guys enjoy it too. Thanks for tuning in. Jeff, how are you doing? Thanks for being on today. We, you know, we really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You know, there's so much that we want to discuss with you. You know, it's funny. We were talking about all the people that we'd like to have on. And the first person I said is, let's get Jeff Kittle involved in this. And, and Mike, he agreed right away that, you know, one of the, as people who are in the softball business and club sports, I mean, really, you're one of the people who really is involved with a lot of the decision making. I'm sure you've been, you know, whatever we're thinking about, I'm sure you've kind of gone over in your mind a million times as far as what's going on in today's climate with coronavirus and all the things that come along with it. One of the first things we kind of want to discuss was like how you got involved in USSSA, your background in it. I'm going to really date myself here because when I go back to how I got started, I, I mean, I, I coached with my daughter's team probably 25 years ago. Wow. Um, and I've been doing uh, the tournament stuff for 17 years now. Yeah. So what did the club, the, the, not even the, I'm sure it wasn't even club or you can, you know, you can tell me it was, but you know, what did the softball world look like 25 years ago, com, you know, compared to what it looks like now? It, it was really quite different. Um, yeah. uh, a lot less teams. Um, I think the teams were more competitive because the talent wasn't watered down across Interesting. many more teams. We certainly didn't travel as much and the communication was much more difficult. So think about this. Today you can go to the internet, you can see your schedule, you can communicate. We used to get our schedules via the mail. Any changes, you'd have to pick up the phone and uh, then phone all the other coaches that were involved. Um, in fact, my first few years at the tournament side, when it came time for seating at the end of the Saturday, we were making phone calls to the teams, letting them know when they played, where they played, and all that for Sunday morning. Do you think you can get away with that now in today's world with, you know, you know today's climate? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. It needs to be right away, right? It, it, it's even funny because I, I would say three, four years ago, I wasn't updating uh, Saturday scores on a game-by-game -game basis. You know, I'd wait till a couple times a day, maybe midday and at the end of the day. And I realized very quickly that I've got to update after every game because, you know, people are on the apps looking at the scores, want to know what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, Mike and I started our Lady Ravens program uh, just about six years ago. And at the time, even then, even six years ago, the USSSA site, everything was a little bit different. And, you know, there was more sort of the mom and pop tournament, you know, you send your check in and register and, you know, you hope that at some point they get back in touch with you to tell you that you're in. Yeah. And what really got us gravitating toward USSSA was, you know, the, obviously the, the website, the ease of access, all those sorts of things. But even as, you know, short as six years ago, it was rough, you know, registering for tournaments and seeing where the brackets stood and all those sorts of things. So it, it's certainly the technology has moved things in a good direction, even though it's different. Yes. And it's really going to continue moving them. I, I look at 
different software, you know, on a monthly basis, uh, new things that are coming out, whether it be what's happening with SSSA or even third-party software that I can uh, add on to improve the experience for our customers. I think there's something to be said for, at, for when I was coaching my team and we were looking to to generate schedules in which tournaments we were going to enter. There's something to be said for the familiarity of continuously playing with U-Triple-S-A also, right? As opposed to one tournament U-Triple-S-A, one tournament USA Softball, one tournament just the random town that's running a club softball tournament. There's something nice about playing as many tournaments within the same organization uh, as possible, I always felt. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I strive very hard to do is make sure we've got consistency across everything we do for that reason. I think, uh, you know, teams, coaches, parents all like the consistency and know that when they finish their games, they're going to get the, the information on bracket play for Sunday and everything's available on the site. And, you know, from a coaching perspective, the amount of data that's available on players and teams is phenomenal. Um, compared to when I was coaching, we had none of that. So. Well, I'm so glad you said that, Jeff, because the the gentleman you're on the phone with, Coach Coach Mike here, it might be the biggest, when he was coaching, the biggest softball nerd I've ever met because he would want to know, you know, when the bracket, you know, when the tournament was going to get posted so he can dive deep into the teams he was going to play. He would then, you know, he, I'm speaking for him, but it's true. He would then send me different lineups for the different teams he was going to play and how he's going to structure it and just having that transparency of, I think we're all, you know, parents alike. We're addicted to this stuff in many ways. And we, and we like to take a look at all the information that's out there, the records of teams we're going to play, you know, who's on the roster and kind of game plan a little bit and get ourselves set up. So it's the technology is there. And it also helps us as coaches too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think you're going to see the involvement get into more player stats and that can then be used with the, the player if they cho so choose to look at college recruiting and getting into um, data to the college coaches and the access from the college coach side. Uh, I, I think you're going to see it move in that direction. So as we talk about the, the future of club softball and U-Triple-S-A, obviously we've all been dealing with, uh, with the effects of this pandemic and it trickled down to, you know, everything from the economy to, what we're talking about here today in club sports with New Jersey. And I know each state's on its own plan. Let's for us right now, let's focus a little bit on New Jersey. Governor Murphy said June 22nd youth sports can resume where, uh, what direction do you see the reopening and how do you see it in impacting club softball moving forward? Right. We've talked, we're talking about the future of club softball. How is this going to change the direction from where you saw it going six months ago? Yeah, I think um, one of the frustrating parts with coming out of the whole pandemic is it appears that there's so many different factions within the governmental um, powers, and you, you almost see it um, changing daily in terms of the decisions that they're making to um, whether it's opening restaurants or whatever it is, there's a different decision daily. And that is frustrating from my perspective because it's very difficult to try to understand how it's going to impact youth sports and when we can then open and, and hopefully, um, you know, 
get into playing tournaments. I think from New Jersey perspective, you know, I'm optimistic based on what I'm hearing. Uh, again, that we can practice the 26th or 22nd. Um, is it possible or realistic to have an event that first weekend out? Um, not sure, but that's what we're kind of targeting and hoping for. And, and what, not what, to cut in, Jeff, but you're in Pennsylvania too. You guys, you know, that's a right. different governor, different sort of set of rules. Things seem to be, you know, more of a state locale, you know, state by state, county by county. Right. Uh, you have your yellow phases and your green phases. So I'm, I'm imagining that it's pretty difficult on your end to kind of plan and, and you know, kind of prepare. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we, um, the Southeastern PA, which consists, I think there's like maybe 11 to 13 counties, and obviously it's the, the biggest populated counties in the state, um, were in the red zone up until Friday, and they just went to yellow because we're using the red, yellow, green system, and we, we can't start play until we go to green. The good news there is I think the governor's laid out or the, the uh, our Pennsylvania Park and Rec Society has laid out a very good plan that when we do go green, what we have to do and, and how we have to do it. So it helps us put the, you know, return to play um, rules and guidelines together much easier. It's just a matter of now, when will we go green so we can move forward? Um, I haven't seen a similar document out of New Jersey, although I believe it will be something similar. And it's, you know, it's not real detailed. I think the best part of the news was that we we can have up to 90 attendees per field. Oh, wow. So when you look when you look at that, at one point it was 25. Right. And I'm saying to myself, well, how can I get two teams, umpires, coaches, and say no parents come, right? Because um, there was only 25 per field. Where at least at 90, if you went through the numbers, okay, 15 players per team and two parents, it's 45, you know, for each team. And then you throw in a couple more coaches and umpires because not every team's got 15 players. 90 seems to be a, a workable number that we can work with. So. Um, the, the guidelines they've put out have been good. The other uh, challenging part with all this that we find are finding is that even though a county might be released to green to play, we're finding local townships and, and local uh, parks and rec are saying, well, you can't play. So we, we have to sort through that and figure that out. And that, that's caused a lot of, um, churn in terms of you know moving fields or uh, different complexes out of different townships just so we can play so that, that's been a lot of uh, effort as well yeah Lee and I have been you know throwing these same questions back and forth that are at each other over the last couple of weeks and that 25 people at a field at a location is one of the things one of the guidelines we've been talking about where boy how do you run a game and let alone a tournament with only with the restriction of 25 people at a facility Right. Which guidelines have you seen that you think may impact the game itself between the lines, right? That's one of the things we had discussed last time Lee and I had talked was some of the rule changes that are going to be necessary from a safety standpoint that are ultimately going to have an impact on the game. Uh, and we're seeing that discussed at sports from the highest level down to the youth level. What have you guys yeah, been I discussing at U-Triple-S-A? I really think we're not going to see much of an impact between the lines. Um, initially, we had a lot of conversation about the umpire placement because of the, you know, obviously the home plate umpire and, you know, do you put them out behind the pitchers, pitcher to call balls and strikes and things like that. And I think what we came around to it is it's probably 
more risk for the umpire in particular to have them out there behind the pitcher because they get a line drive shot. You know, they're not, that, that's not familiar territory for them, so there's more risk there. You know, do they, behind the catcher, do they back up a step? You know, maybe. Um, but right now we're not seeing that there's going to be any restrictions um, on the umpire, catcher, batter in terms of the, uh, the return to play guidelines. No, that's great to hear because, you know, we are, we're getting so much information from so many different sources that we weren't quite sure what that would look like. But I think that that's, for us, that's one of the most important things as we return to play after safety is making sure that we're still developing the game and our players. Right. The well, also, it too, to. that it, it looks like softball, you know. And exactly. That uh, when you do get back, because everybody's in a rush to get back, but you don't want to push a, you know, a round peg into a square hole. Mike, did I say that correctly? I think I did. Sure. Uh, but when you, when you get, when you get back, you don't want some sort of, you know, version of softball that doesn't feel right. I, I think, you know, you have right. to have rules in place that still give you the feel that, you know, what you are doing feels like the game that you, you love to play and it, it's, you know, not too altered, but Jeff to just kind of, you know, big picture here, you triple SA, obviously they came out with a bunch of guidelines, every tournament, director or uh, excuse me every venue rather seems to come up you know have their own set how did you triple get together or what's the process that they went through to figure out you know what they need to do to get back to play how does that all play out yeah what they did um, for each you know we're a multi-sport organization so they've got the the, the benefit of having you know a lot of uh, brain power across multiple sports uh, at the national office, and they got together with each of the uh, sport committees and, and came up with, you know, I think the what I'll call the twenty thousand foot level uh, guidelines and what we need to do. And, and from there, you know, they issued those to us, and then we, at a local level, are free to put in whatever we know, need to do um, with the where we have to follow any state or local guidelines and in addition follow the national office guidelines. But beyond that, um, we can add any that we need to, you know, um, that may restrict us uh, with some of our state and local uh, guidelines that are restrictive, such as the 90, you know, uh, people or attendees per field. You know, one of the things that we're uh, looking at, or it was really in our, our return to play document, is when a team is on offense, you know, where do all the players sit? And we're effectively saying, well, you can have three players in the dugout, um, the, the three players that are, you know, batting and on deck, and, and, um, and the rest of the players would then be seated on the bleachers. So you kind of spread out the dugout, because um, mo most of the parks that are laid out that way that have, you know, a dugout and bleachers next to it, those that aren't will have to, you know, deal with that. But then, then it says, well, where do your spectators go? So effectively, all spectators will have to be down, far down either the first or third baseline or the outfield fence um, and socially distanced. So uh, I think that to me is, you know, one of the biggest issues that we're faced with locally is how do we, how do we handle that? Jeff, if you can get my parents from out behind the dugout and behind home plate, then that is the greatest silver lining of this entire situation. <laughs> and, and, and we have to. I mean, there's going to be absolutely no way that we cannot do that. Um, you know, the, as 
particularly with, you know, in Pennsylvania for sure, the way the guidelines are written, I, that I have to do that. And if I can't do that, then they'll shut us down. And that's yeah. the last thing I wanted. Now you're involved at the tournament level with baseball as well? Uh, yes. Um, uh, baseball in this area for USSSA is really, really small. We continue to work uh, to try to grow the program. I think we find that there's a lot more competition in the baseball arena um, as one and two. Uh, teams don't have the desire to go to national events um, in baseball like they do in the softball world. What do you think? What, what do you attribute that to? <laughs> I wish I knew. Uh, is, is it uh, a difference between boys and girls? I, I really don't know. Um, I, I think some of it is, is I, in the baseball side, there are more, it appears to be more of the, um, I forget the term that they call them, but it, like the, not the club, but the organization where it, it they're paying to be involved with the organization. The coaches are all paid and the coaches aren't really setting the expectation to go to national because they don't get paid anymore and it's their time. And, you know, there's, there's some of that that I've heard in, in three instances where, you know, the coaches really don't have a desire to, to push the boys to go there. They just Interesting. Don't do it. One of the yeah. things Lee and I have talked about coming from both sides of the world, uh, you know, we come from baseball initially and then we, we started this softball program is that a lot, and Lee had mentioned it, is that a lot of the baseball teams seem to be, more involved in leagues than tournaments. And I wonder how much of that comes down to pitching as we talk about the game itself, right? I think baseball tournaments are much harder to manage from a roster standpoint because you can't throw the same girl two, three times a weekend. So I wonder how much leagues just lend itself to the sport a little better than playing five or six games in a weekend. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. That's, that's certainly the big case. You know, they are um, tied in more to the leagues. And I think because of the pitching, that really uh, cur curtails what they're able to do. And, you know, on a weekend, how many games they can play. Has your return to play process been similar between softball and baseball? Or is it a whole different set of return to play guidelines for, for baseball than it is for softball? No, for, for the most part, it's been pretty much the same. Even from the national office on down, they've, they've grouped baseball and softball together. So we, we've been fortunate there that it is uh, pretty much the same. So one of the things you had talked about was the expansion over your time at USSSA in terms of the number of teams, which has had positive and negative effects. I'm sure obviously it's been positive for USSSA as an organization to have so many more teams involved. And yet you mentioned from a competitive standpoint that it's it's – watered down the competition a little bit just because the talent is spread so thin over all of these programs now. What, what would you predict moving forward? Does, this, does our current situation consolidate some of that talent? Do we start to see less teams that are willing to travel and get involved, forcing talent to funnel into lesser to fewer programs? What, what do you think happens moving forward? You know, that, that's a that – a really interesting question, and I, I've thought a lot about it um, more from the standpoint of will girls continue to play the sport? Will parents continue to want them to play the sport? You know, we've been off for three months now, really, of, of, of the playing time, and have families gotten to the point that they say, hey, you know, that really wasn't so bad not traveling every weekend and not playing ball, you know, so, and it, it not just in the softball arena, I, I, 
I, I look at you know all sports across all youth sports or any youth activity like that. Will there be a major shift in thinking uh, on the family level that they won't get involved to that level? Um, that, that'll, that'll be interesting. You know, I, I think from the the team standpoint, I, it, it's a definitely a double-edged sword in the sense that. You know we're fortunate that there are more teams, and I think I think players are fortunate as well because it gives every player that wants to play an opportunity to play. The difficulty I think is your the the number of elite level teams you don't get. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But that's that's uh, well, one of the Jeff, can I can I jump in there real quick? And and sure. I think what you Triple SA did recently was a really smart thing, which is to kind of come out with this C division, the C level. And at first, maybe a year or two ago, it really, there's only a few Pennsylvania teams that I saw that had that option into tournaments. But, you know, a lot of these, you know, I think because you have so many more teams, like we said, there things are a little bit more watered down, but it also gives kids who love softball an opportunity to play more softball. What's wrong with that? Right. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with, with, wanting to play as much softball as possible. So the addition of the sea level, you know, tournaments, I think it's a nice option. You know, there, there seem to be different rules with the amount of games you're going to play, but you know, when there's nothing like when you're a, a, let's say a a new 10 year old, new 12 year old, even new 14 year old team, and you're jumping into a B level tournament and you're losing by 25 runs and you know you're just trying to build some positive momentum with things but you have teams in there that probably should be in a level or open divisions now you got an option of playing and building up that confidence and you know having the girls enjoy the experience of winning and then moving up into b so i i think you know maybe you could touch on that a little bit you've added more c level divisions is that because you're seeing more teams you know, at the B levels, you know, not really being competitive? Um, not, not so much that. I think the reason we did it, knowing that, um, and, and the whole seed uh, level program in the Maryland area has been around probably for 15 years. Okay. Um, so, you know, we, we, they've had some good success and we kind of build on what they've done. And I think, again, it was expanding a lot. So the girls could have a place to play. And I think the the levels of play as well as within U Triple S A where we've got you know every age group it really you know now people the players can start in U Triple S A at eight and under at the C level and end their career at the eighteen and under or even older at the elite level so you know we've got we, we can hit every every level that they would be able to play and I think um, just trying to keep them in the program and keep them playing the sport necessitated us to go to the sea level and introduce that for the recreational ball player. I think, you know, some of the other issues surrounding that though, you know, there's been some conversation about, well, why does the sea level only play two pool games on a Saturday? And the thinking there is, and I'm not sure everybody understands it, but the thinking is these are recreational players that, you know, they probably don't have the pitching to support three games on a Saturday. You know, that's probably one of the weaker areas they've got. And as well as, you know, are the parents ready for a weekend at the softball field, where at least if you're playing only two games on Saturday, you can be in and out pretty quickly and not take up the whole day and give them, you don't want to ruin their appetite for the game by, yeah. you know, forcing them to be there all the time. The other, you know, additionally, the other very complicated um, issue that we try to 
deal with in that whole regard is the whole classification of all teams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I've seen, I think we've cleaned up a lot of the sea level, but now you get, you know, it's, it's that typical um, uh, triangle where your A level is a very small portion of those teams. Your B level gets bigger and you could have a, a B plus team and a B minus team that, you know, someone would argue, well, that B plus team should be A and that B minus should right. be C. Um, and I think that's where the C level has really helped us uh, clean up the B level as well. So, you know, it's a little bit tighter and a little bit cleaner. And uh, but that that's will continue to be a struggle. I'm sure well, we're gonna have a conversation after we stop recording about how my team ended up in that A division. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, Jeff. I'm, I was that B plus team. You killed me, man. <laughs> they were ready to break out. You held them back, Jeff. Ah, oh, killing me. <laughs> I just want to kind of travel back a little bit into the conversation, Jeff. And, you know, maybe you can a couple of concerns we've heard, and, and I think you may have mentioned them, but if you can, again, uh, a couple of concerns from our parents and, and parents in general in terms of, you know, it's 110 degrees on an August day and your pitcher's wearing a mask. I mean, what's the mask rule going to be as we get back into the swing of things? Are they going to be required to wear them during play or is that something that they're just going to have to wear on the sidelines? Yeah, they will not be required during play. Um, you know, if they choose to wear them, that's their choice. Mm -hmm. And I was, I had a lot of mixed emotions about that because just the little time that I wear a mask, you know, when I'm out and, and doing stuff, it's like, I don't know how anybody could could play a sporting event and have to wear a mask in 90 degree heat. You know, it's like, is it, and I think it's, you know, kind of back to some of the other conversation that we had about, you know, changing the game. And, you know, there comes a point that if you've got to make that many changes, is it really worth playing the game? Right. And I, I think we're fortunate that we've come around that we're really not going to require masks other than, you know, if they're in the bench area or, you know, hopefully everybody will be social distancing. But if there is a, a small group, then hopefully they all have masks on. We're going to ask that, you know, if the coaches are approaching the umpires or things like and having those interactions um, in a professional uh, means that they wear a mask, you know. Um, but for the most part, it's not – we're not going to have a lot of uh, issues like that. Uh, I that. saw a funny – on Twitter, a funny – whatever it's called nowadays. It's probably, it was probably a TikTok, but – uh, it was softball in the world in the age of the coronavirus, and it was uh, a girl getting ground ball. And before she threw it, she had to disinfect it with Lysol. And then she <laughs> threw it to first base, and then you know the the runner was out, and then everybody put their mask on. And then she had to disinfect it and throw it back to the pitcher. I saw in the rules. I think it's correct that they are going to change balls maybe every game. Is that correct? Or what's what's you know there's this fear of the constant contact with the ball. How is you triple a uh, going to work with that yeah what we're looking at is um the defensive team will be well yeah the defensive team will have a set of balls both both teams will have a set of balls let's put it that way and the defensive team is responsible for you know moving the balls in and out and if it's a foul ball it comes back in we'll have you know sanitizing wipes that they can wipe it off and, and get it back in the play we the the goal is to keep the umpire out of the ball um, retrieval uh, portion of it. And then what we'll do between games is we'll take all of the balls and sanitize them again and, and put a, a new set into play for the next game. So Jeff, does this add another layer of kind of expenses for you guys? And, you know, is there, 
Absolutely. Yeah, there are. So what other, yeah, I'm assuming there's going to be only things and precautions that are going to cause, you know, you guys to have to spend more money to, to keep these things, these tournaments going. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, um, so one of the other things that we're, we're looking at doing, at least for the first couple of weeks, and, and I'm, it's, this is going to be a little bit of a rambling for a minute, we're, we're looking at changing the format of the event to be more, you know, everybody will get four games, but it's going to be effectively two pool games Saturday, two pool games Sunday. And the reason for that is, is... You'll have no complaints over here with that, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. You know, the reason is we, we need to understand um, not only us managing the event, but, you know, the teams need to understand, one, the, the seriousness of the virus, and let's not take it lightly, and, and let's make sure that we're doing what we need to do to be able to play the sport and while, you know social distancing and making sure we're doing all that. So this, this allows us to manage the flow of teams in and out much better and will help us learn and, you know, see where we go. And uh, right now I, I know actually the, um, the Connecticut director, he's done that from now to the fall uh, through the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying, well, I just want to do it the first maybe two to four weeks to see how it works at the end. We may have to implement that, but I, I really want to, hopefully we can get back to having the elimination and, and things like that. Well, I'm glad you went there, Jeff. Ahead, because, yep. Yeah. I'm glad you went in that direction. That's that question that I had lost my train of thought about was some of the unintentional impacts of what's happening here, because yeah. as Lee and I started a program with one 12 year old team and we're really learning as we go with our first truly competitive 18 U team. We haven't had any team that's teams that have graduated out of our program yet. So we're figuring a lot of this out and we're seeing that at the youngest levels, it's less about the winning and the losing. It's more about the development. Those mid levels, those 12, 14, first year, 16 U teams are all about those elimination rounds and championships. And then you get to a point where you almost go, back into the showcase of skills where it's showcasing skills for college coaches and it's less about competition. Do you think that there is some unintended impact and consequence to what's happening right now where maybe it is just about getting back on the field? This is something Lee and I had talked about last week was maybe it's just about playing your five games and the wins and losses don't quite matter as much, which means kids get to play more variety of positions. And maybe that pitcher who doesn't get to pitch at all on a Sunday normally gets an extra four innings that weekend. Yeah, I, I really think there are those uh, consequences. I think that, you know, given what we're looking at for format, I, I really believe that, and it's my hope that across the board, teams are looking at it that way, that, hey, we just want to get on the field. And, there, you know, it, part of what will drive that as well is that I'm seeing teams that have said, you know, hey, we're done for the summer. We're not going to play at all. Our parents don't want to play or individual players that their parents aren't comfortable with the waivers and things like that. So their, their players aren't pay, uh, playing. So I think you're going to get a lot of teams that have um, more guest players and, you know, bringing in new players and things like that. So it's going to be really a very interesting time, I think, in, during July and August to see what really happens. Do you see enough of a benefit in that format from a development standpoint that you can see USSA offering more of those options just indefinitely moving forward? Is, do you, as the coach and tournament director in you, do you see a benefit to the showcase style round robin all pool play games as opposed to elimination rounds and championships? 
Yeah, I, I do. I think there is some benefit. It's a matter of um, how does it fit in and when does it fit in. And I think we'll, by doing what we're doing now, we'll learn a lot by that and be able to step back afterwards and reevaluate and, you know, get some feedback and see what, uh, you know, what the teams and coaches think as well. Yeah, yeah well, I'm I've, very torn from the coach's perspective. Yeah. Godly. Well, I, I was, you know, the format stuff, I think it is important. As you mentioned, Jeff, there's this sort of shock that every parent goes through when they're first jumping into the club thing, which is like, wait a minute, my whole Saturday is going to be held in Linden and nothing right. against Linden. It's beautiful. It's got a great flyovers from every, you know, private airplane in the world. But right. <laughs> when you're staying there from 8 to 10 p.m., it's a little bit of like, you know, it's a, it, it can be a drag. Uh, and then if your team isn't really that good, you come back on Sunday at eight o'clock in the morning, you're playing the one seed and you're, you're back in your car by eight forty. And if you have 14 kids on a roster or 12 kids in a roster, maybe, you know, whatever, those kids may not get an opportunity to play. And if you, if you break things up with two and two, you know, first of all, during this time, the kids are spending less time in the field. That's a good thing, right? They're spending less time in concession right. areas. They're spending yeah. less time, you know, congregating anywhere, even at a Starbucks around the corner. But you're also the next day, you feel like you're, you're going to get more, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to maybe if you lose the first game by 20 runs, it's okay, you got another game. And from a coaching perspective, if the kids that you're not able to get in on that Saturday, you're able to, or Sunday, you're able to, you're able to get them in the game. So right. uh, I think there's a lot of good that can potentially come out of a format shift. Yeah. And I, I think particularly at the younger age groups, because that, even when I was coaching, what I always found with my, my team was that, you know, Saturday we could come out gangbusters and do really well. The question was, how did they feel Sunday when they, you know, they get home late at night and then, you know, they're tired. They, get up early to get back to the field for Sunday play and what team shows up. So um, I think, you know, for, at the younger age group, this format's really going to help a coach understand and a player to understand what it's like to have to do that. Yeah. I think it's going to create a shift in coaching as well, which is, yes. you know, again, I can see it for, so for me, the benefits of that pool play, that round robin style is the benefit is the development of skills. Again, it's, it's real easy for me to play the girl at shortstop who doesn't normally get to play shortstop or pitch a kid who maybe isn't going to be as successful. The drawback is that I think as I watch high school softball in North Jersey, I see the benefits of the kids who have played competitive club softball and learning how to compete, learning how to win, what it takes to win. And I think you lose some of that yes. while taking away the elimination rounds. So I'm torn as a coach. Um, yep. I can see the benefits on both sides of it. And I think a, a season with mixed tournaments, I think really, you know, there are weekends where you just want to play four and five games and develop things and work on bunt defenses and rotations and set plays. Yep. And then there's other weekends where let's go see how that works now and put it to practice and practice. Right. Right. See how yeah, we do on a Sunday. You know, the way I'm, way I'm looking at it is I, in my mind, I've got, you know, the first couple of weeks of that format and I, you know, I'm going to be listening for feedback and, you know, should we continue that or should we jump to the elimination round? How, how does the, how do the coaches feel about it? How do the players feel about it? And from a tournament management, as it relates to the restrictions of COVID, how, how can we manage the event? Can we manage it effectively? And if we can do all of that, I have no problem going back to the elimination rounds. You know, I, I personally like that better for obvious reasons, but it's just, uh, we can't do it at this point. 
Jeff, 25 years ago, you said you coached your daughter, um, which, you know, I'm sure it's an incredible thing to, to, to coach, uh, you, know, somebody, you know, your daughter. I mean, that's a special thing. But in today's COVID world, and not to put you on the spot, but to put you on the spot a little bit, would you allow in today? Would you allow your daughter to play in a tournament when things open up? Is that something you'd feel comfortable with? Yes, um, and and the reason why, and my wife and I talk about this quite a bit. Uh, you know, the whole COVID situation and looking at the numbers and and following it. I look at it as you. I don't want to put myself or my my daughters or my um, my wife in a situation at risk and I, I believe those are the the, the mass groups um, you know like at the beaches in Florida you know where you got thousands of people there but when I look at a softball game and some of the things that we're implementing for the social distancing and and things like that I, I see no problem with it um, particularly you know you, you think about softball or baseball you're you know for the most part, except for the, the catcher and the, the batter, everybody's social distanced, right? <laughs> so um, I think it's, it's very low risk from my perspective. No, that's good yeah. to know. I think, you know, it's going to be interesting because once we get through, once we get through the meat of reopening, once, once society has reopened as a whole, I think there's an opportunity to reflect and move forward on a slightly different path, right? And sometimes the best things come from our, uh, our best decisions come from times that are forced upon us. So yes, absolutely. have you been able, you as an organization, has USSSA been able to start thinking about, okay, how can we course correct and steer this USSSA ship in a way, in a direction that's going to separate us even further from the, the club world pact? How is it going to, how can we make an even stronger product? Because I do think there will be opportunities. I'm not smart enough to figure out what those are going to be. Uh, but that's why I'm sitting here asking you questions because I don't have the answers. But have you guys been able to start thinking about, okay, what are the silver linings here? How are we going to, how can we benefit in ways that we hadn't even thought about before this had taken place? Yeah, um, I'm not sure they have at the national office. I'm not close enough to them. I know personally, I've not had um, a lot of time. I'm, you know, more focused on getting back to play. But I think that's certainly something that we're going to do, you know, as once we get back to play and start doing that. Because I totally agree with you that, you know, these are times that you you need to reflect on what can you do differently and how can you improve. And, um, you know, and, and there's a couple things that come to mind from my perspective is that, you know, okay, so I'm, go I'm going to restrict the number of um, attendees. So grandma and grandpa aren't going to be at the games. Um, and that's unfortunate. So, you know, what do I, what can I do to potentially put a streaming program in place moving forward to, to address that issue? One of our return to play guidelines is we're not going to have the bracket boards at site. You know, people can go online and I'm like, you know, that's not so bad, but I think, you know, what we need to do is we need to develop a better app that can be used on site um, versus having to go to the website to do that. So those are a couple of things that I've thought about already that I think would improve our program. I think those are great examples. And I think ultimately what we'll see is the change you've seen in 25 years since you've coached your daughter and 17 since you've started working with the tournaments is going to be condensed that we're going to see similar change in the next three to five years, right? Absolutely. I think we'll, yeah. it'll be a different product. All of these club sports will be a different product in three to five years post-pandemic than they were prior to the pandemic 
And hopefully that'll all be for the better, right? Hopefully all of those changes will, will be positive changes. I don't think they have to be negative, but I do think we're going to be forced. That change is going to be condensed. It's not going to take 25 years to change moving forward. Right. You know, and I think one from the, the team's perspective, and I'd be interested to hear if you guys used the technology and if you would continue to use it. But, you know, you hear about all the Zoom meetings that everybody's having now. And were those effective? And will that now allow you during the off season to um, continue engaging with your players without having to have a practice, you know, scheduled? You know, they can do it from a, a Zoom meeting. And, you know, and I also here at the professional level, uh, you know, I think some of the professional uh, football teams have used it pretty effectively and they really like it. I'm like, wow, okay, that may be a, a, a shift to a, a new type of technology. Yeah, I think this is certainly changing how we do business in, in, in every, you know, in so many different industries. For us more, it's, you know, like, as you mentioned, the streaming and if you're a parent who can't make it to a game uh, and you can turn on your laptop, turn on your your cell phone and you can watch and be a part of it. That's something that seems, you know, is inevitable. It's, it's inevitable. You know, it's funny, Jeff, we look at, you know, the right before a game, you'll have a couple of parents who start to put up their GoPros or their cell phones, whatever, and they hook yeah. them up to the fences there. And yeah. you're seeing it more and more now. It's, it's obvious that that's going to be the, the new wave of, of what's to come. Right, exactly. I was say I'm just that's where I'm challenged with the streaming capability. And I talked to my uh, partner up in Connecticut, uh, Dave Rocha, who's got his own complex, and he's got 11 fields, and you know he streams everything. And then you know myself, where I'm in so many different parks, you know, throughout the season, how, how do I technologically yeah. get the equipment? And, you know, do I have the funds to invest in that to put in streaming? Uh, it, it becomes difficult. I think from the team level, I think that's where it becomes, you have the team aspect and you have the business aspect. And I think that ultimately as a club organization, that's charging a tuition to be a part of our program. I, I don't think we're ever going to get away from the live practices. I could see, that the use of the new technology and the comfort with that technology allowing us to add on to what we already offer as a program, okay. right? Okay. Maybe we have a library of content for additional drills for kids to work on on their own. I don't know that I could ever see us getting away from the practices just because again, we're offering that service. So I think it's difficult right. to, to replace that, but I could see it being additional content for us. Okay. Interesting. Jeff, just a couple of things before, you know, we let you go. You let us go, really. I know you want to get rid of us, mostly Mike. Not at all. Um, Dave Rocha, you just mentioned, it just brings, you know, one of the kind of, as a, you know, one of the glimmers of hope throughout this whole thing was Dave, and I've never met him and love to talk to him, but he's got that Megaplex up in Connecticut, which we've heard great things about. But he was, he's really the first person to really get out there and put together a, a menu of what to expect and the changes that are, you know, he's put into place to get softball back. He's, he, he, he they took a pretty aggressive stance up there in Connecticut and they're probably actually playing this weekend or, or, or pretty soon. June 20th is their first weekend. June 20th. So, so they're really the first, you know, tournament that's going to get out there and say, look, at least within this area, the Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, your conversations with him, if you don't mind sharing, I mean, I mean, as far as getting back to business and, and getting back to playing softball, how did those sort of conversations go? If you have, uh, <laughs> and whatever you feel comfortable sharing. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, we, the, the good news with David and myself, we're, you know, very open and honest with each other. And uh, there, there was a, we shared a lot of frustrations. You know, there was things that we don't agree with. And I think, I, I think the biggest frustration for both of us was trying to figure out what is going on in the whole political arena with sure. the governors and, and, you know, God bless them. They're, they're in those roles that they have to make those decisions, but some of the decisions just didn't seem to make sense, you know? Um, and there was really no, it didn't appear to be any expertise on their teams that drove the decisions that impacted our sports. And, and, you know, and David and I, well, it was just, it was over the weekend, actually, when PA put out the, the Park and Recs put out their guidelines, um, he's like, can you email those to me? And I emailed him. He goes, wow, these are great. The, their state office didn't even do any of that. So he sent it to the governor's whoever that is working with them and they're like wow this is really good so you know i think and the, the good news out of it is between him and i we've listened to each of our states and we facilitated sharing information amongst us that we've then been able to take and you know give to others and hopefully in the end come away sooner to play you know play and, and less restrictive guidelines because some of the guidelines initially were to the point that i'm like it doesn't make sense to even play right yeah, that was what we had. Th those were our, some of our initial thoughts as well, which was we want to get it back out there as desperately as anybody else does, but it's it needs it can't change the game. It still needs to be softball yep. in the end, and it needs to make sense. Yeah, right. I mean, just you know, certain every program is going to have teams, and and certain needs are there, right? Your older teams may they're maybe about showcases. Your younger teams, and even the older teams too, but about development. So, you know you have a tournament the day after things open up and it's, it's like, well, we haven't practiced yet, you know? So I'm sure those are all decisions that you guys thought about giving those things space and, and, you know, teams an opportunity to, you know, prepare themselves for these tournaments as well. Yeah. It's kind of interesting where our thinking was because back in April, our thinking was, well, we'll probably go back to play sometime in May. Right. And when we do that, we'll give like a two-week window before we start tournaments because teams won't have practiced, right? Now it's like, you know, here we are at the end of June, and even teams are so, you know, they're out there doing what they can to practice. So we're going to, you know, as soon as we get the green light, we're going, you know. It's, uh, yeah, and you guys are, for the fall, I think you guys are doing a great thing, which is, you know, allowing teams, and correct me if I'm wrong, but allowing teams that, let's say, are a second-year, 10-year-old team to stay in their age range, not having to move up. So, the, the, essentially, the cutoff has been changed and moved back so those teams can still play at their their summer age level. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think the, the fall is going to be, a, from my perspective, very uh, flexible in that regard. Um, and for that reason, because we need to, uh, um, you know, this time calls for some sort of accommodation. Yeah, that makes uh, a lot everywhere. of sense, right? I think flexibility yeah. is the key word to everything that we're going through right now. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I found most interesting is how this is really, you know, in some ways we've progressed 25 years since you've coached your daughters. And in other ways, this has been the first, it, it's sent us back in time a little bit. This is the first time in these kids lives baseball softball any other club sport you know sports has become so specialized now these girls have never had three months off from softball before right when yeah. you were coaching your daughter when we all grew up playing you know you played baseball jeff in the spring but you played basketball in the winter you weren't taking lessons right. all winter long right yeah there was nowhere yeah. to hit there was nowhere to throw if you grew up in the northeast you know what 
You played four or five sports over three seasons. And these girls have never had a break like this because in their off season, they're training, there's camps, there's lessons. This is the first time they're going to have to pick up and go without being in mid-season form. It's going to be very interesting to see which programs are able to find success yes. given that set of circumstances. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, across the board, and that certainly more d- difficult for the players, but then even the coaches, you know, and, and now you've got to shift gears pretty quickly and, and, you know, get your game face on and, you know, and are you ready for that? You know, and likewise, it's from executing the tournament. You know, I, I haven't done it in six months, basically, you know, so what am I going to miss? You know, and now you got a whole set of new rules that you got to, right. you've got to run it under. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like today, my wife and I were putting together uh, banners on social distancing and stuff like that, that we're going to print out to have at each site just to, you know, try to keep it in front of everybody. But that's a whole new thing that we've never had to deal with before. So, you know, it's kind of crazy. You're going to go from selling hot dogs to selling masks over at the facilities. (laughs) Yeah, right. Jeff, we really appreciate you coming on. We wish you the best of luck this season. We hope that you, Triple SA, you know, you are certainly one of our our Northern stars there that we follow closely and we look to you guys for guidance. So we really appreciate everything you've done. We wish you the best of luck this season and let's revisit. We'd love to have you back on six months from now, next going into next summer to talk about some of those changes that we've seen in a positive direction, because I do think there will be some that come out of this. Oh, that, that would be awesome. And thank you for the opportunity tonight. I love talking to softball and uh, look forward to it. And I hope you guys have a great season as well. Yeah. You're welcome thank back you so anytime. Much, we appreciate it. Have a Thank good night. you. Take you care, too. Jeff. Thank you. For Lee Rubin, I'm Mike Rosenblum. Thanks for listening to the Club Sports Podcast. Be sure to click and subscribe to the show and check us out over on Twitter and Instagram at, at Club Sports Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.